W248CR 97.5 FM, Windsor. This is the Jamal Show. Down in Jamal C. Rock. Jamal. Jamal C. Rock. Jamal. This is the Jamal Show. This is the Jamal Show. Okay, let's see if you can hear me. This is testing, testing, one, two, three. You've got Jamal C. Wright on the Jamal Show. Good morning, folks. It's great to see you again. I'm happy to see you figuratively and, if not literally, figuratively, definitely. This is the Jamal Show, and as usual, I'm very glad to have awakened this morning myself. But something that is not usual, or rather it's very unusual, is that I'm not feeling great today. I'm not 100%. I've been sick recently, and I haven't really found a way for it not to distract my life. So I'm trying my best to work with it. Like many of you people out there in Radio Land, I will tell you that as a result of this illness, I almost wasn't here this morning. And I don't mean that I was on my way to being with the Lord. Don't take it the wrong way. What I mean is that I almost didn't, I almost didn't come to communicate with you today because I, almost, I thought I'd be too sick. You see, I have what the politicians call a pre-existing condition. I'm sure you've heard of that before. A pre-existing condition. That's a recurring illness that has been episodic in my life for just over 20 years. Episodic means that it keeps coming back. And at first I thought, maybe I ought to sit this broadcast out this Saturday, you know, today. You know, this show can be a little stressful to prepare for. Which is why it's bi-weekly now instead of weekly. But then I had a listener write me in an email and ask me if I'd be too sick to broadcast today. They had followed my uh, social media posts and were tipped off to my illness. And something inside of me just said, hell no. I can't give up that easily. Maybe instead I can use this to enhance my work. And I'm going to come back to this idea of work. Work is today's theme. And I I need you to stick with me on this. This Jamal Show broadcast may be fun for me. This broadcast may be therapy for me, or even for some listeners, but it's still work. Very hard work. In fact, the value of this work that I put in is increased by my authenticity. I did a show about that. And sincerity. So instead of avoiding this work because of my illness, I decided to bring my illness with me to work. In order to increase the value of my work to my listeners. In order to make my work better, in essence. Work is the theme of today's broadcast once again. I mean, we all know you're not supposed to go into work when you're sick. You make other people sick. But when I come to work sick at this broadcast, I could use it to spread awareness about a terrible disease that most of you have never heard of. But still, I'm very certain that you can all relate with an illness that completely interrupts your life, or maybe the life of a loved one. I'm certain that you all can relate to that, unfortunately, as it may be, so I see no reason not to share this with you. Because, hey, it could be that my work is the reason why I have this disorder in the first place. Now, it's hard to talk about your personal health in public, but I've spoken about my disorder before, 
specifically in the universe uh, in the universal healthcare broadcast I did last year. Now that's up online just to give myself a little poke. As I said before, I suffer from a neurological disorder called cluster headache syndrome. It's not migraine headaches. It's not migraine headaches. That's a totally different thing. And you can take that as word from an expert because I am the biggest expert that exists on the subject of headaches, unfortunately. Cluster headache syndrome causes excruciating headaches that are described in literature as the most painful condition known to man. I kid you not. I don't know how anybody would know this, but they say that these headaches are nine times more painful than childbirth. If you look that up, that's what the sources say about cluster headaches. I'm not making this up. That's because there are stories, I mean, they call them suicide headaches, and the reason why they call them suicide headaches is because of these stories of people knocking themselves out, overdosing on painkillers, and even killing themselves to avoid the pain of these headaches. And I'm talking to you about them today because I want to be a little transparent, but the worst part about having these cluster headaches is that nobody knows anything about them. That's why I'm here today. They affect about two out of every 1,000 people. So there are very few people out there who can tell you why you are experiencing so much pain. And pain, for an unknown reason, is the worst kind of pain. It's one thing if you've been shot with a shotgun. Obviously, you're like, well, I'm clearly in pain because I've been shot. But when your head feels like it's going to explode and you don't have an MRI scanner in your bedroom to check out what's going on, it could be a little unnerving. I'm going to go ahead and tell you briefly how I came to realize my own diagnosis with these cluster headaches. I was in college back in 19, none of your business. I was working a part-time job at this pharmacy called the Rx Place. Old people might remember the Rx Place. I don't think it's around anymore. But I remember it because it was the first job I ever got on the internet. And every day, I would get this splitting headache. On one side of my head, just one side of my head to make it different than migraines. And it would be at the same time every day for weeks. I knew it was the same time every day because it coincided with my work schedule. As it turns out, they call them cluster headaches because they cluster together to occur over and over again, back to back, like a recurring nightmare. They would frequently occur at the same time every day, every single day. And then they can disappear for weeks. Or they can disappear for months or even years. At one period in my life, I went six straight years without one headache. But then they come back like the changing of the seasons. And in fact, in fact, they come back with the changing of the seasons. They are tied to an organ in my brain called the hypothalamus. For you brain surgeons out there, this is brain surgery. The hypothalamus controls the body clock. They seem to be affected, these headaches, by the amount of sunlight that shines in a day. They appear to be tied to seasonal change. Now, as I said earlier, I started having these cluster headaches while working at a pharmacy over 20 years ago. And so, working at a pharmacy has its privileges. I had, a, I had the access to quote-unquote free medication. So I began to try different pain medications to try to get rid of this excruciating headache that I would have during my shift. I tried powders and other pain-killing substances, and none of them would work. I would try anything that I can get my hands on. In retrospect, it seems easy how a person could accidentally kill themselves with an overdose of medication for this disorder. You keep taking stuff. 
until you find something that works. Later, I would learn that cluster headache syndrome is a vascular disorder that directly inflames the trigeminal nerve in my face. I sound like a doctor, right? You get enough pain, you'll become what you need to become to solve that. So it directly inflames the trigeminal nerve in my face. That goes behind my eyes. It starts above my ear. It goes on to my nose, and it's underneath the skin. In other words, it's far beyond the capabilities of any of the over-the-counter painkillers you might come across. Cluster headaches come on so fast and so strong that even the most powerful opioids are completely ineffective against them. And let me remind you, my friends, this was before Obamacare. So I couldn't just go see a doctor without insurance. And I wasn't on my parents' insurance because, once again, there was no Obamacare. The times before Obamacare, for you young people, let me tell you a story. The times before Obamacare were prehistoric. There were like dinosaurs everywhere. There were caves and, and mountain men. You don't want to go back to that time. Now, back then, the only way to see a doctor was to go to emergency rooms and get billed later some ridiculous amount of money that nobody could pay, which was the reason why Obamacare was created. So I took a tour of emergency rooms back then. This habit increased as I found out that one of the only ways to stop a cluster headache immediately was to inhale pure oxygen for like 15 minutes. I mean, you got to be like a billionaire to make oxygen that fast in your house because tanks won't do it. Tanks won't do it. So I toured hospitals. And, and walking into a hospital for a headache, by the way, that's no easy task. It's not like I got hit by a car. People who got hit, who get hit by cars belong in hospitals, naturally. Try walking in and tell them some blo- telling some blood-covered emergency room doctor that your head hurts. That can make a dude self-conscious about being there. You look just fine on the outside. All of your parts are functioning except your head. Now, when I finally graduated college after five years and I got my first real job and got some insurance, I went to, a, to doctor after doctor to no avail. They just all prescribed stronger and stronger painkillers. I felt like I was going to die until I found one doctor in the Bronx who tried something a little different. She wanted to try asthma medication, and it ended up being the solution for that particular year. By prescribing me a different medication, she helped me use the internet to, di- to diagnose myself. And I was off to a lifetime of battling this disease. And I hate to call these symptoms just headaches, because that gives the impression that they are minor. They are not. This disorder destroys lives. Look it up. Also, look for symptoms in your own family, because chances are they will never be properly diagnosed if they have this. They'll just think it's a regular headache. And they'll be suffering for years. Now, over the years, I've learned a lot about cluster headache syndrome, and I've lost a lot from having it. They've affected my job and home life. They've kept me up all night, running to different hospitals. So I digress a lot with this story. But the bottom line is that in the past few weeks, starting right on time with the longest day of summer a few weeks ago, my disorder is back with a vengeance. And I have a very busy life on this show as well as outside of this show So I've had some adapting to do, and I'm comforting myself by saying maybe the reason I have these headaches is to have better broadcasts. So as you can see, the headaches are starting to affect my brain (laughs) a little bit. Just so happens that while I'm ill, the whole world is also sick with a pandemic. And both of these sicknesses had me thinking about how illness 
always teaches us about ourselves. Stress has a way of doing that. It teaches us all about our strengths and our weaknesses as individuals as well as a country. Because this is what stress does generally. It teaches us about ourselves. That's one reason why they say you learn more from failure than from success. Failure teaches you your vulnerabilities and about the people you want to keep around you. I'll give you another example. 9-11. 9-11 did something like that. Remember before 9-11, we didn't have to take our shoes off at the airport? You didn't need ID to go to work before 9-11. Well, I believe that COVID-19 is the reason for a lot of this change in the same way. And let me add that this disease, COVID-19, is serious. It's not a joke, just like 9-11 wasn't. I mean, sure, even I took COVID-19 serious. I mean, I took it lightly at first. But let's be honest. We don't really know the permanent damage this virus can do to us. It's completely unknown. Never been seen before. Sure, we may easily survive COVID-19 as a human, as a species. We may survive this. But this virus may actually be responsible for the shortening of a life for a whole generation of humankind. It really could be that. We can't possibly know this before time tells us. And just because people don't seem worried, just because people feel like they're over it, doesn't mean it's not a dangerous disease. I never see anybody worried about malaria. When's the last time you heard somebody worried about malaria? But here's the truth. Malaria has killed probably half of all humans that have ever lived. I don't see people worried about AIDS anymore, but AIDS has killed 15 million people worldwide. It's not a joke. And now it's clear that no matter what happens, COVID-19 will affect every walk of life in the same way 9-11 did. Let me go back to George Floyd for a minute. <clears throat> COVID. When George Floyd was killed, people were on virtual house arrest. They had the time to look at George Floyd's murder online. They had the time to protest. Nobody had to go to work the next morning. As a result, the pandemic has taught us more about the racial disparities in our justice system. The pandemic did that by setting the stage for it. It made sure everybody could pay attention. Everybody had the extra time to pay attention. The pandemic also had a worse effect on people without comprehensive health care. Like um, black people, for example. And poor people, for example. So it further revealed tremendous disparities in the healthcare system. That we already knew were there. Now, our government is also being tested during this virus. We are finding out. We're finding out about our government. We're finding out that it may not be as great as we thought it was. Before this, we sung songs of the land of the free and the home of the brave. But since then, we found out that wealthy people are the most free of everybody. And, and there is a far too long overlooked shortage of brave people in political leadership. Where are these brave leaders that some people sing about? Where are they? I don't see them. They all seem scared to me. Scared of stand-up comedians. Scared of stand-up comedian Trump. The pandemic is teaching us about the weaknesses in the American government. In the same way that I'm learning who my real friends are when I'm sick. When I'm sick, I learn about what separates a good caregiver from a bad one. I know from my headaches what a good hospital is because I've visited so much, so many of them. I've visited them so much. Just like America knows what a neglectful leader is 
Because we've had one for the past three and a half years. We've had stand-up comedian Trump living in the White House Adult Daycare Center. Here's an important one. One thing this pandemic has taught America about, and I'm sure you've heard these words, it's taught us about essential workers. And I want to look at that more closely today because work is the theme of today's program. What is an essential worker? Why am I just hearing this term thrown around for the first time in my life? It seems like such a subjective title. Like beauty, it depends on who's looking. Or in the case of essential workers, I guess it depends on who needs the work done. Before I take you down my personal rabbit hole of theories regarding work, I need to do some chores. And uh, chores is just another word for work, by the way. I'm going to come back to this theme in a few minutes, I promise you. Let me, let me just officially get this show on the road. I thank you very much for being with us. Because you know if it's Saturdays to the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent, live and on your favorite podcasting network. My name is Jamal. I'm your host from Harlem, coming straight from the Hartford, Connecticut studios of WKND. The revolution will not be televised. It will be broadcast on live radio and then turned into a podcast that you can find on Spotify at any time. And the revolution will be commercial free. I promise that. Gotta say good morning to the bishop. Another hardworking man with more than one job like myself. Both of us are Facebook living while we are on the air on WKND. But the sound is best while using the TuneIn app for your phone. So please do that. Just look for WKND 1480 AM. You'll be impressed with the sound quality. I promise you that. It's been two weeks since you and I have last been together. Two weeks ago I told you I have the attitude of gratitude. Today I want to exa- examine the value of work just a little bit. And uh, how will I pull that off? Well, how I always do it, by scheming and planning on how to get you all more intelligent. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Some of you people fight me for your right to stay ignorant. But I remain vigilant like the dark night. So here's some more free information. The Jamal Show broadcasts live every two weeks on Saturdays which is more than enough time for you to check out the Jamal store and see how you may like to support Christian radio program. We even have our own bishop. There you go. To know that I am an attorney, if you need to reach me from jail, you can drop the ransom note at jamalshowradio at gmail.com. I'll come get you. I'll come get you. Hello to the Connecticut Criminal Defense Lawyers Association, of which I am a proud member. I remind you that this broadcast will soon be up on every broadcast network that ever existed and that will ever exist in the future. Now, that's a lie, but it's a lie that we intend to make true sooner or later. If you need a tip on some good episodes, please check out the one on accountability. That was one of my personal favorites. Uh, Definitely, you should get the Jamal Show skill featured on Amazon Alexa so that all you have to do is say, Alexa... Open the Jamal Show. You can find directions on how to do that at the top of where? The Jamal Show Facebook page, of course. You should definitely like that page. A quick announcement that shipping at the JamalStore.com is back to normal. I've been told we had some shipping problems in the past month or two due to COVID-19. Damn that virus. But I'm told that it is fixed. The JamalStore.com store is a special little place that... Us at the Jamal Show, we get to ask for your support. And you get, to get, you get to get something back from us in return. So please visit. It's vintage. You'll find it nowhere else. I do value my work here at the station much more than the owners of the station do. 
So please don't attribute anything I say in the next hour to this station or the owners. And as I always say, that's my introduction, folks. If you don't like it, you can't send it back. But if you wish to complain, and a lot of people do, we do take direct phone calls live on the air at 860-218-2173. I invite you to make us prove that theory that we do answer phone calls. You do not need an invitation because you're all family. I think I have someone, I think we have someone in line now. Do we? Did someone call in? I, I, I thought I heard someone call in. Well, as a family, I can tell you that what you need is a break from your big brother, Jamal. A break. A little music break. And Jamal's going to give you what you need, as always. Don't you know that? I'm going to give you something special that I played, uh, I played two weeks ago. I think it's a, a, a nice song. You want to give me the input? I can play it from here. This, this is why I try to get prepared ahead of time. People maintain the patience. I want to remind you, if you ever do live radio, you got to be prepared for anything. So I'm going to go ahead and take this break and play this song for you, and I'll meet you on the other side of God. Is that all right? Bishop, are you with me? I got this wish Yeah, listen, yeah I wish every place I drop a bar of flower grows With the smell of hope to empower those Rappers dreaming to be the next big thing with a lot of O's About switching for the industry Only a coward knows You got content and you choosing to rapping But you're still small so no interviews gonna happen They're gonna ignore you Cause the truth for the masses is when you make it big out there They're gonna claim you faster than you can imagine yeah, music is madness We got the keys, but y'all refusing to have it Gotta find girls by me and a booty of palace Don't know if my duties are valid And I'm truly embarrassed She got goals, one of them is to sooner get married Have kids so they can be proud to say The best rapper in Africa is only my daddy While me and my brothers living the dream Just walking in Cali, yeah, uh I wish if it was like that Only if we didn't heavily cheer some light trash So we could fight back And put Tanzanian hip-hop on the top of the charts And that's the right path But they won't understand you All they ask you is can you Pull a scandal and get more followers so we can handle Getting a big crowd to you in a sponsored event It ain't a gamble huh. Wow, that's all it takes No wonder everybody's doing music And the radio keeps playing them tracks with no taste But for y'all, that's not the case To see these fans get lost While they listen to some trash on replay Now they can't really tell what's bad from the great They just dance to the wave But it's all good While they're sleeping on me I'ma make sure the people are gladly awake You got dreams that ended Yeah, you had your time to trend So please don't get offended Cause I ain't got time for trash. Got time for trash. You got dreams that ended. Yeah, yeah you had your time to trend it. So please don't get offended. Cause I ain't got time for trash. You got time for trash. The new trash you put out is flattering. You call it a hit. The numbers are staggering. It seems like a stolen idea. Why you ain't answering? Y'all mixed up rappers need mastering. Sneak up on your favorite rapper, hopefully choking till he vocally broken. Cause I'm normally open. Now y'all can just walk in the actual doors that y'all was supposed to enter before the barking. Now look who's talking. My scheme's got the deuce to sparking. It's downhill for you. Mayday, do you copy? Got your YouTube flopping. Now who you stopping? I'm Mex Cortez, man. <laughs> The new, new Rakim I'm internationally known when I be on the mic I think it's only right 
teach lessons rather than giving them full advice Bars with hard knocks to the face, you gotta school and write Yeah, meditation gotta clear my mind Ain't nobody coming near my lines Sometimes I fear my moms won't be there to see me on the top So I gotta move while I read my time Yeah, I'm bilingual Did you know I also rap in Swahili? Here you go, uh, trendy Wasi wanini mitikasi ya mjini na nipa michanzi ni wini kichwa kina pasi madini Mawaki kwa chini hawanyanyuki tena si wapi na fasi miamini ipo wazi mijini Wanashindwa kuhema staki kujua bali za nane anatoka na wema Kungea ukweli na unasio jambo jema basi staki kuwa hambo tena uh, I give life to these bars, this a new breed Tell my eye we rule, that's what the truth is Check the billboard carefully in a few years If I'm not the one changing the game, I don't know who is You got dreams that ended Yeah, you had your time to trend it So please don't get offended Cause I ain't got time for trash You got dreams that ended Yeah, you had your time to trend it So please don't get offended Cause I ain't got time for trash. You got time for trash. You got dreams that ended. Yeah, you had your time to trend it. So please don't get offended. Cause I ain't got time for trash. You got time for trash. You got dreams that ended. Yeah, you had your time to trend it. So please don't get offended. Cause I ain't got time for trash. I ain't got time for trash, people. That goes for me on talk radio. That goes for me and life that song was for the new compilation album of african artists put out by my by my friend fet jen in tanzania it's called the lounge tanzania it's my pleasure to have you back on with us on the jamal show on wkd and on podcast hosted by me jamal from harlem attorney new car owner dragon slayer stand-up comedian trump hater craft beer drinker lover of fine ladies tv news junkie Thanks for hanging out with me. You're very special because that work and how it's valued. And what brings me to this question, the reason I've been thinking about this so much is because of the pandemic. This new virus has put our society into a position where we are categorizing workers. And I'm not saying we shouldn't categorize workers in a time of great need. During a pandemic, we have to shut down. We need some way to differentiate who should go to work and who shouldn't, right? We need to categorize workers. That's what we need. But I'm really curious as to how we come to the decision of who is an essential worker. I want to discuss this a little bit with you. I'm sure we don't determine who is essential by how we pay people. Because if that were the case, then LeBron James would be an essential worker. Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, would be, would be an essential worker. Both of these people make tens of millions of dollars a year, but we don't call them essential workers, do we? And that's because they aren't, they aren't essential. If both of them were to disappear tomorrow, how would it affect your life outside of some emotional sadness? Probably not much. So who are the essential workers? If they aren't the ones being paid the most, then who are they? There must be another definition. Maybe they are the workers who are most essential to the running of a stable society. Well, let me tell you something. I have in my mind probably the most important workers in our society. And every year, they still have to fight for basic benefits. Who is that? Teachers. 
Here's my question, and this has bothered me ever since I was a teenager. Why aren't teachers paid like LeBron James? Yeah, I, I know that sounds like a stupid question, but let's think about this for a minute. I never understood that. Someone has to explain it to me. Teachers take care of your children. Five days a week, eight hours a day. Do you have any idea how many millions of dollars you would have to pay me to do that job? Not even parents want to spend that much time with their kids. But teachers do it every... And not only that, not only that, but we actually expect our kids to be well-fed and a little bit smarter when we get them back. If that doesn't happen, we blame the teacher. If it does happen and the teacher does a great job, do we tip them? Do we tip them? Hell no. We tip people who bring us a nice plate of food. We tip them. But we barely say thank you to the people who actually raise our kids for us. Is this the way to value our work? So basically, this is what happens. We drop our kids off all day with these angels. We go do our thing. We make money. We lay around the house. Whatever it is you do. We do what we do. While we handle our business, these teachers feed our kids. They teach them how to smell a little bit. They let, they let them run around the gym. Take them to a park or a zoo. Get them a little tired. They give them a nap. And at the same time, they watch for signs of molestations from Uncle Joe Bob. Because they have to report if they see anything funny. They have to report that. So they're actually watching out for our kids' well-being eight hours a day. And then we go get the kids back and damn it, if they aren't smarter, if they aren't a little bit smarter, we yell at the teacher. I have no idea why anybody takes less than $10 million a year to be a full-time teacher. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but think about it. Would you do it? I mean, besides the teachers out there that are actually crazy enough to do something like that, why aren't they getting paid like a million dollars a year? You would have to pay me every time you drop your kids off like daycare and bring your own food. But still, states don't want to pay these people. And then they have to bring work home too. Man, these people are masochists. Hey, I love LeBron James. I think he's an American hero. But do you think LeBron James is powerful? If he quit his job tomorrow, you may be sad. But check this out. We haven't had basketball in months, and the world seems to still be spinning. If every good teacher quit, if every good teacher in America quit tomorrow, the American economy would collapse overnight. The very future of American prosperity could be affected if teachers were to quit. But we treat them like they ain't worth nothing. They need unions to protect. It's actually against the law for teachers to strike in some cities and some states. The minute teachers stop working, parents stop working. It's the reason why stand-up comedian Trump is so desperate to open schools right now. Let me give you an example. CEO Jeff Bezos. He runs Amazon.com. Um, one of the most uh, valuable companies in the world. He built it himself. Self-made billionaire. Self-made trillionaire soon. But would you leave him in a classroom full of screaming kids? Or would you leave those kids with an inexperienced teacher, with a, 
would you would you rather leave them with an experienced teacher? Experience is everything when it comes to children. Jeff Bezos could lose ten thousand packages in a delivery and still be a billionaire. But a teacher cannot lose one kid, not one. If a teacher loses one kid, dozens of lives are destroyed. Dozens. Do we pay them like that? Uh, I invite any teacher to call in and tell me if they're paid like they should be. I bet you they would say the opposite. Teachers need unions to protect their pay. And they still don't get what they deserve. Same thing with transit workers like in New York City or even in Connecticut, here in Hartford. They're called essential when times get tough. But we don't pay them like they're essential. In fact... Every essential worker gets paid less than their counterparts in the private sector. Even emergency room doctors make less than their counterparts in the private sector, in private practice. Hell, I can even talk about janitors. Your average janitor at McDonald's, the guy who cleans the bathrooms, he's probably seen more hell than you'll ever see Shouldn't that person at least make $50 an hour? When I see McDonald's bathrooms or Greyhound State bus station bathroom, I'm like, yo, the guy that cleans this up, that's a real dude. Public restrooms are like the stuff of nightmares. COVID-19 is like the least of your worries in those bathrooms. Who's the guy that decides what jobs are valued and what jobs aren't? How about the janitors that work at Greyhound? Why are those dudes not clocking like $100,000 a year? Why? Do you want to clean up those bathrooms? I've seen some really disgusting scenes in a public bathroom. And someone has to be the person to clean that up. And that's real no-nonsense work, buddy. And it certainly has value because everybody uses the bathroom. But you can be the best janitor in the world and you will never, you will never, never make a million dollars doing it. On the other hand, on the other hand, the history books are littered with a million CEOs who did nothing but lose money and were richly rewarded. Richly rewarded for losing money. I'm thinking of a certain president who took companies bankrupt six times. That's six more times than most janitors have gone bankrupt. But yet he's richly rewarded. There are nothing but stories of con men CEOs. I'm looking at you, we work. We work. There, there was a white girl uh, like two years ago who went around. She raised $9 billion on an idea that was crazy. She's now being prosecuted, finally. She got like the secretaries of state behind her. Just with an idea that she just kept on telling them. She kept on selling them an idea, selling them dreams. Turned out to be a hoax. It's a little bit easier because, you know... She wasn't black, so she got the benefit of the doubt. There are nothing but stories like that all over Wall Street. And we don't even call them essential because they aren't essential. We don't pay people who are essential. We pay salesmen. We pay people who sell us dreams. We save our money for them. The salesman who sells us the services of the janitor are the ones who get paid. The janitor does not get paid. The salesman who sells us the services of the janitor, he gets paid. The janitor gets told he's not working hard enough. 
even though he's working harder than most large company CEOs in America. Let's talk about cops for a minute. Why aren't cops paid more? Why not pay cops based on performance? You never shot any poor people? You get $100,000 bonus points. You know, for saving the city $30 million in a lawsuit. How about people who literally go into burning buildings to pull people out alive? Better known as firefighters. How is being a good basketball player worth more than being the best firefighter in the city? Ask yourself that question. The basketball player saves basketballs. Makes you feel really good when you go to see him play. The firefighter saves lives. Makes you feel really good because, hey, you happen to be alive to still feel. None of this makes sense until you realize that it all comes down to the funding of public elections. I'm taking it to the funding of public elections. That's where I'm taking it, people. That seems like a stretch, but it's true. Wealthy people fund elections. As a result, politicians are reluctant to impose more taxes on rich people to make them pay their fair share. After all, they're the ones who funded the winning candidate. In return, the rich get tax loopholes. Because of these loopholes that the rich get, they keep a larger share of their wealth. And cities and counties and other government units have to do with less revenue. Less revenue meaning less less taxes being taken in. Less revenue means that they have less money to work with to pay these essential workers. And politicians have tight budgets to pay them with. They, the budgets get tighter every year. They brag about how little they spend. That sounds good to their constituents. But the truth is that money's necessary. One way to get to, through a tight budget is to cut or freeze the salaries of essential workers. It's done all the time. In fact, states need money right now from the federal government in order to pay, continue to pay their cops and their essential workers because of all the overtime that's been happening. In order to cut the pay of essential workers, you have to promise them something else. And the promises they get are an adjustment to their benefits on the back end. This is why the only unions left in America with any teeth are public unions, cop unions, firefighter unions, teacher unions. These jobs are the only ones left in America that guarantee pensions for life. Why? Because they're not getting paid while they're working. So they hope to make that up in their benefits. In the private sector, pensions are unheard of. You know what they do now instead of pensions? You, you, you sign up to work for somebody. And they say, hey, I tell you what. Give us your money that you want to save. Save it up for year after year. We'll add a little bit to it. We'll add a dollar or two to it. You know, haha, we're very generous. Then when you retire, they just give your money back to you. Congratulations. You're welcome. We did such a great job giving you your money back. That's a 401k, essentially. Hey, give us money that we'll save for you in the stock market. And then when you retire, we'll just give it back to you. That's what they give you now instead of a pension. A pension was for life. They were like, you know what? You've been our employee for the last 25 years. And you know what? We're going to take care of you. Here's your gold watch, buddy. We're going to take care of you the rest of your life. Come get your check. They, they, they don't do that no more. Now it's like, we'll give you the money you give us. I mean, what do you want? Something for free? That extra money that you used to get, we're giving that to our shareholders now. So pensions are unheard of. 
and and the lifetime pensions that the cops and the firefighters get, the city wants to cut back on those too, because it's 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 breaking the banks of city governments, thus making cities more impossible to live in. You don't believe me that cities are more impossible to live in? Go visit New York, like I did last week during the Fourth of July. I mean. It was a zoo. I'm from New York, and it was a zoo. I was like, you know what? This place is a zoo. How do I get out of here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, there were people standing in the middle of the streets shooting fireworks, and cars just had to wait. You know what I'm saying? Cops were like, mm, what do you want us to do? We just got spit in the face at a protest. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not acting pro-cop here. I'm just saying, you know, the lack of money into these cities make them harder to run. And, and it affects the education system. Sooner or later, it affects education for lack of funds. It's like a domino effect. But for the essential worker, this is all like a trade-off. Come be an essential worker for the government, and you'll make no money, but you'll be set for life and retirement benefits. That's how you kick a budget shortfall down the road to the next politician who follows you. You say, okay, well, I got the budget straight because I'm not paying them anything. But they'll get their money later, and the politicians after me, I have to figure out how to make those pensions work. That's what happened in California with the um, Corrections Officers Union making over $100,000 a year in pensions after they finished working, right? California forever was trying to figure out a way to break those pensions because they were breaking the state. And why? Why? It's all because of of a refusal to properly tax the wealthy. This has led to a devaluing of actual work. You can't just work and get wealthy anymore. You have to market now. You have to sell other people's work too. You have to incorporate. You have to upsell. You have to sell people things they don't necessarily need. You have to find ways to brand so that you can get people used to that brand and then overcharge later. Like McDonald's, for example. When the Big Mac came out... It was a Big Mac. It was big. Now, is it really big? They, they got you used to the brand, and they shrunk it ever, ever more every year, a little bit more every year, so you don't even notice it. Now it's the size of a regular hamburger. The hamburgers you make at home are bigger than that. But you got used to the brand and what you associated with the brand, which is a big burger. Whoppers aren't big. The bread is bigger than the meat. That's what you have to do under capitalism. It's not about work. It's not about actual value. It's about what you think you're getting. And who tells you what you think you're getting? A salesman. Someone who's selling you dreams. Let me give you some background on something that'll shock you. You know, if you invest money and you don't work for it, you just invest money, you actually get to keep more of it than if you ever actually worked for it. Let me, let me repeat that. The government takes more income tax from you if you made it digging holes. If you made your money digging holes, the government takes more income tax from you then than if you made it investing in the stock market and watching the stock go up from your couch. That's why a CEO can fail and still make more money than a great janitor. Capitalism doesn't value work. It values marketing. It it values your ability to sell that work, not so much the work itself. That's why the people who sell work of others make more money than the people actually doing the work. The the people that run a maid service 
make more money than the actual maids that provide the service. This is why I laugh. I laugh when I hear people talking about working their way up the ladder. Working your way up the ladder is just marketing to get poor people to accept bad wages for long periods of time. The people that make it to the top of the ladder usually are not the ones who work hard to get there. They more than likely made the right friends or they inherited a stake or they looked the part or they could tell a good story or the boss likes them. But none of that is work. Making friends and then allowing them to give you $20 million a year to ride around a limo is not work. Not in the same way mopping the bathroom in a Greyhound bus station is. That's work. But that's been devalued in favor of selling services that you don't even perform. And and sure, there's always that one story. Okay, Carly Fiorina, she started at... Uh, uh, Hewlett Packard Computer Company as a secretary. She went to school at night. And, you know, it is true she became the CEO. She ended up running for the Republican nomination for president a couple years ago. And she told that story over and over again. It does happen. Um, the secretary who got rich from stock options on the company's equities. Um, Ray Kroc was the guy who, who made McDonald's famous. I mean, he made, you know, McDonald's was started by the McDonald's brothers. It was a hot dog stand across the street from a movie theater at first. Then Ray Kroc came along and made it big. He he franchised. He was the first big franchiser, right? He had a secretary that got paid nothing. She just said, I'll be your secretary. And he paid her in a McDonald's stock. And it just so happens that McDonald's stock was worth zero. It wasn't even on the New York Stock Exchange. And he was like, one day this will be worth money. Okay, so that secretary now has a house in West Palm Beach. A mansion, Right? She was able to cash that stock in one day. It does happen. It does happen. But the majority of people, if you listen to stories, the majority of people get screwed by companies. Even the generous 401ks that I talked about earlier, that private companies offer employees, is really just saved money given back to them when they retire. Because these companies do not want to cut into wealthy shareholder profits by giving the employees more more retirement benefits that they need. Let me cut you into some insight. You know how a CEO gets a raise? He has a board. He has a board of people, usually close friends, and he goes to his board and says, hey, let me get a raise. And you know what? Since I'm getting one, why don't you get one too? Why don't you get some more board stock? Why not? Publicly traded. We got nothing but money flying around. We can, we can share this between ourselves. When you're going to friends for a raise that you've all hired each other, a lot of things can happen with that. And no matter how much comp- money that company might lose in a given year, that CEO will still make millions of dollars, at least for that year, before he's fired. WeWork was almost, WeWork's a, a big story. Israeli guy from the Israeli Mossad comes to America, starts a company. Gets billions of dollars from investors, defrauds the company, ends up defrauding the company with his own self-dealing uh, practices as CEO. They find out about it, fire him, and somehow he's able to make a $500 million deal to leave the company. Rich for the rest of his life and never has any work to do for the rest of his life. He did nothing but lose money for his whole tenure as CEO. Um, there was a female that Yahoo had hired. Yahoo Incorporated, I guess they've been bought by AT&T now, but 
um, Marisa, I forgot her last name, did nothing but lose money. She was like 33 years old. The whole time that she was just acquiring companies, buying up companies and losing money. Yahoo lost money the whole time that she was in, in, in office of CEO. She never got a pay cut. That's like a janitor coming late to work. He gets a pay cut, though. He, he, he doesn't get paid for the time he's not there. This chick, doesn't matter what she loses. Doesn't matter what she does. She still gets paid. We're paying people according to class, not according to work, according to marketing, according to what they sell us. Here's my question. Who decides what the value of work is? Here a girl can fail. Donald Trump can go bankrupt six times and people are still pay him to be the CEO. The guy who's cleaning the bathroom at the local Groundhog bus station, he can barely get health care for his job. Who decides what the value of work is? It appears to me that only the salesmen do. The CEO is the salesman who sells dreams to his stockholders. When the CEO arrives, they pay him for the size of the dream that he sells to the stockholders. The janitor does not sell dreams, he just sells work. And therein lies the problem. Just selling work doesn't pay anymore in America. People want dreams more than work, and if they can have both, that's great. But the dreams will always sell more than money. Just ask stand-up comedian Donald Trump. He sold dreams, he sold a lot of dreams, to get into the White House Adult Daycare Center. We've all seen that. We're running out of time, so I'm going to take another quick break. Um, I'm drifting here. I need a little water. You need a little music. I'll give you that and close out as we are running out of time. Uh, why don't you meet me on the, on the other side of God, and we'll speak soon. Bishop?
they make us and they pump my tracks We gon' show you how If you lame, you miss my style If you game, you twist that now What's my name, girl? Oh, baby, hit the scene Where the players and the pimps be at Left you looking mean For Mercedes where them whips be at She don't have no fear Coming through, let's make it clear I'm her fool, it's top last year She the reason why I'm here She so damn fly She be freaking it Okay my honor to welcome you back to the Jamal Show. I had to cut that short. We got a phone call right quick uh, from an important listener. I want to say hello to my friend, Mex Cortez. Are you on, my man? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I got to let you know, this is Mex Cortez, the the, uh, the singer of the first song we played today, and you are calling all the way from Tanzania, Africa. Am I correct? Yes, brother. Well, we just want to thank you for putting out good music. Wanted you to say the hello to the Jamal Show audience. Say hello really quickly. You're on WKND. Yeah. Uh, hello to everyone listening out there. Um, I'm Max Cortez, hip-hop artist from Tanzania. Uh, I'm at, I was recently featured on the Launch Mixtape Volume 1, uh, which was organized by Feta Jen. And luckily enough, <laughs> Jamal Show, uh, my, my brother loved the song that I spat on, uh, and yeah, we like I, you know, I was I was really happy when you said like I reminded you of your people back then. Yeah, back in Harlem. Really- That's right. You got an old yeah, school man. tense to yourself, and we're gonna be playing that song again. I I um I know you're six hours ahead, and I really appreciate you calling in. We need all the support we can get, and we just gotta keep on supporting yeah. each other out here. You know what I'm saying? You're very good. I, I saw your new track that you sent to me. Um, we're gonna be playing some more of your songs. Just keep on doing good stuff. I wanted to have you on for longer. We're gonna do a feature on you sometime in the future. We're at the end of the show, sure, and sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. But thanks for calling in from Tanzania. Yeah. Keep listening. Keep spreading the word about the Jamal show, and I'll keep spreading the word about my man Mex Cortez. All right, all right. I'm gonna be talking to you soon, brother. All right, man. All right, man. Stay safe. All right, y'all. It's my honor to bring y'all back right. to the Jamal show, the place to get intelligent. My name is Jamal. I'm from Harlem. And I may be your host, but I'm not the star of this broadcast. You are, the listeners. A quick reminder to check you, uh, to tell you, excuse me, you, would, you wouldn't believe that I actually do this all the time. A quick reminder to check out the JamalStore.com. We could use your support, and you could use ours, whether you know it or not. And you already have our support, by the way. 
I want to add that you can see how work has been devalued in America through a number of indicators. Union decimation. Unions have been decimated in America. Only public service unions still exist for the most part. And they were the best way for a family to make the middle class. Unions are responsible for the five-day work week and vacation days and retirement benefits and kids not working in factories till they die. Unions are great for Americans. They provide all the things that that American workers need. But nowadays, politicians act like nothing's wrong with being anti-union. It's crazy. Unions have done more for the American worker than just about every American institution. You can also tell that work has been devalued from the lack of compensation given to workers over the last two decades. This generation makes about the same as my mother's generation did. In some instances, my mother's generation made more. My father's generation made more than our generation. My grandfather's generation had more stable jobs than our generation does. Things like bonuses are becoming increasingly rare and being saved for salespeople only that bring in business. Ever notice that people don't really take vacations anymore? That's because workers are being made to feel replaceable. Companies aren't hiring them anymore. They are contracting them. Contracting a worker instead of hiring them is a nice way of saying we don't really want to be responsible for actually making sure that you live a good life. We don't want to be responsible for your benefits. Nobody does. They're too expensive. each other how about that Jamal out this is the Jamal show down in Jamal C. Wright Jamal Jamal C. Wright Jamal this is the Jamal show this is the Jamal show This is the Jamal Show. Jamal C. Wright. Jamal. Jamal C. Wright. Jamal. This is the Jamal Show. 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 This is the Jamal Show.